1: Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are coming to you not with the jargon of the day. Uh, we are coming to you from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home. We're going to do jargon of the day in a minute. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And we're like we're we're getting down to it. This is our last week of shows, new shows for the year of 2019. Now next week we're going to be showing you, and the week after, the week of, of new we're going to be showing you some oldies but goodies but it's our last week of new shows so i'm thrilled to be here with you guys um hey we want to be with you for this next hour and be interactive we really appreciate when you guys write in when you talk to us when you tell us what your questions, your concerns, and comments are. And so Traven's going to show you some of the different ways that you can participate right now. There are lots of ways to watch the show and growing, and we're hoping in 2020 to bring you even more ways. Uh, but uh, in most of the ways that there are, there's usually an interactive component. We want you to know that you can be watching us on the uh, um, on our own homepage, which is autism-live.com. And that is interactive. At the bottom, there's a chat. If you click on the little red button, it'll opens up a box and you can write in it's free it's anonymous i don't get even get to know who you are and nobody gets to know nobody gets to see it except for me and and so i address your questions and you can write that in 24 hours a day seven days a week the rough thing is if you're not watching it live and i don't answer it live then you gotta you know know where i answered it that's the hard part Um, So a lot of people prefer to have their questions answered on Facebook or YouTube because the the record stays there, right? And so if I answer it later or during the show, um, you know, then you have a record of, oh, she answered it during this question. So during this uh, show. So, but... The, the tough part of that is that people at least see the name that you're writing in under, which may not be your actual name, but you know, so, uh, but you can also write to me at my email um, and you know, I'm happy to tell you when I'll be answering the question or having an expert answer the question because that's the other thing is that we have lots of experts on the show. I am not an autism expert. Let's be 100% clear about that. I care deeply because I'm an autism mom and a former school teacher. And I want for you to have the same Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, it's not one size fits all. So it's not that I wish that you have what I have exactly. Right. But I hope that you have the spirit of what I had, which is the progress that my child made. And, and so I want to help you to get to whatever that is. Again, not one size fits all. So it helps me if I know what it is that you're looking for, what it is that you need. Right. Uh, that's sort of my deal. And we welcome everybody in the larger autism community here to be a part of this conversation. Uh, and this really is supposed to be a conversation that goes multiple different ways, right? But if you are an individual on the autism spectrum, of course, Of course, we welcome you to this conversation. But we also welcome all the people who love and care about you and want you to get to the progress that you so richly deserve and all the people who want to fight very hard for you to have the dignity and and the full life that you deserve as well. So uh, that's where we're at. That's who I am. I want to be your cheerleader. I want to spur you on. We always say that we're about information and inspiration. I want you to know... The good stories of the good things that are happening not because we're negating all the things that are hard or they're difficult because i'm happy to go there with you because heaven knows there are parts of this journey that are really really hard um and in fact that's why i want to provide the inspiration so that we can all get through those hard things to get the information to get to the good stuff right so that's why we're here thank you for being here with us all right Uh, Because it's Monday, we like to start off with something that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about? Why do they need to use these terms? Are they just trying to make us feel stupid? Because sometimes it feels like that, does it not? Yeah. Okay. So here's one. And here's one of the things that, you know, I was one of those moms. I was like, I am not participating in that jargon. I am already over the age of 40. I do not need to learn something all new, right? I was very resistant. And then I went, oh. Uh, Uh, That gets in the way of my son's progress. And then I had to learn these terms, and one of the things I learned is that if you just drop a jargon term here and there, and there are very specific ones, and this is a good one, you just drop it here and there, and then people go, oh, well, apparently she knows what she's talking about, right? And maybe you don't, but this this one is one that'll make the people that are, like, trying to impress you at school step down a little bit and go, oh, okay, well, that's a that's a person who, who is familiar with what's going on. Uh, okay? So this is, this is not... Not for the faint of heart. It's called pre-max principle. Okay. So when you're talking and you might be talking about something and you just be like, well, pre principle. And then, then and some people go, yes, pre principle. And other people will go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you see them taking out their phone and looking it up. But this is a lot of what we talk about. We just, I just don't throw this term at you all over again. So let's take a look at our actual definition. Let's see if we can make some fun of it, and then we'll give you a working definition. Premax principle, also referred to as the relativity theory of reinforcement, oh, gag me, uh, suggests that more probable behaviors will reinforce less probable behaviors. Okay, this is like a math equation for me. It's like a logic. Wait, more probable probable behaviors will reinforce less probable behaviors. What exactly are we talking about here? So, let's take a look at our working definition, Premax principle. When we make a desirable behavior the reward for doing something less desirable in order to make the less desirable behavior more likely to happen. All right, that's still hard. That's not even a good one. I'm sure a BCBA wrote that for me. Uh- <laughs> Right? Let's get down to the brass tacks. If we want something to happen and we want it to be more likely to happen, and, and we pair it with something that uh, is really wonderful and desirable, then it is more likely for the other thing to happen. So if every time we take a child swimming, which is something that they like to do, we pair that with something else, uh, then then that behavior is going to be more likely to happen because the other thing happened. Does that make sense? And and I know BCBAs everywhere are swooning going, Shannon, I don't think that's exactly it, but let's start with where, with like the place where we begin to understand these things. So let's go back over it now, now that we've sort of put it into context, when we make a desirable behavior, the reward for doing something less desirable in order to make the less desirable behavior more likely to happen. So we love swimming, right? And we we know that that's a desirable behavior. and uh, And so I was saying something happens after swimming. Let's switch it so it's a little bit easier to understand that, you know, let's say we have to do our multiplication tables. And we have to do them a certain number of times because there's a certain grade where they have to do that a certain number of times. And maybe they don't love multiplication tables, but every time we do multiplication tables and we get it right, we go time to go swimming and swimming is the desirable thing then we are more likely to have a good experience more likely to want to do the multiplication tables more likely to do well at it more likely to get them right because we know that the reward for it is that we get to go swimming that makes a little bit better sense doesn't it Uh, i may have confused you in the beginning but pre-max principle is that if there if there is a, a desirable thing that you know is attached to this then this is more likely to happen Okay. Makes sense. That's the pre-MAC principle. Okay. So with that in mind, let's move to our question of the day, which is how do you reward yourself? What are the rewards that you give yourself? You do a lot of hard things every day. I know you do a lot of hard things every day. What are the rewards that you give yourself? I tell you, this is the beginning. I know we're getting close to that where you're going to make new year's resolutions and stuff, but if you don't figure out this, it's kind of like if you think about the things in your life, you're like, why have there been certain um, New Year's resolutions that I did? Why am I successful in this arena, but I'm not successful here? And I'll tell you that uh, ABA people will tell all of us that it's because we haven't solved this. Are you really rewarding the success and the attempt to do that other thing? So if your you know thing, your New Year's resolution is that you want to exercise a certain amount every day, what's the reward that you give yourself for it? Because if you just assume that, well, you know, exercise is its own reward, how's that working? I can tell you how it's working for me, (laughs) right? Um, there are other things I, you know, honestly, when I look at the things where I'm successful, a lot of times it's because there's a reward built into it for me, right? That I don't have to walk out of my way to do. And that for other things that are not the preferable thing, like the exercise, I got to exercise pre-max principle and I have to make sure that there is a reward so that that behavior is more likely to happen. See how I brought that back around to pre-max principle? So how do you reward yourself? And when do you reward yourself? And what aren't you rewarding yourself for? Okay, now now we gotta think about that, right? But we'll talk more about that because honestly, if you could be happier and doing more of the things that you want to be able to do, that would be a good equation, right? Um, And if you felt rewarded for doing it, so much the better then it would all cook with gas. And by the way, we do this with our kiddos. We don't ask our kiddos to do hard things without giving them a meaningful, substantive reward. If we do, we're not going to see the same level of progress. We've got to give that reward to them and it has to be a meaningful reward. That is how we make progress and that is how our kids become willing to work on things that are hard for them. Oh my gosh, when I watch our kiddos who have apraxia and watch them fight, they want to be able to say the word, but it's hard. It is really, it's like some of the hardest work that there is on this planet for them to be able to make that connection, to get that sound out, right? We have to make that rewarding for them. It's unconscionable to have them work that hard and not give them a reward. We got to do that for ourselves as well. Okay, so how do you reward yourself? Do we need to tweak that? Do we need to tweak when it happens, how it happens? Let's think about it. And then for we always have a topic of the week. And our topic this week, which I happen to really love, it's a great one for the last week of the show uh, for this year, is where attention goes, energy flows. So whatever you decide to pay attention to for the next two weeks, that's the thing that's going to get, that we're, you know, if you're saying, you know, I want to pay attention to this, that's what's going to get energy. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to get progress, but maybe it'll get a different, uh, you know, a, a different workflow for it, or or maybe you'll think of it in a different way, and maybe the progress will come later but sometimes that's the phase, the creative phase that it needs to be in. So if you're like, ah, you know, I really, my garage, it's a mess and I really, if you were to, you know, make a little picture for yourself and set it on your desk with your picture of your organized garage, I guarantee you, your garage is much more likely to get organized quicker if you put that level of attention to it, where it popped up on your screen every day or whatever, right? The things that we pay attention to and energy flows into them, those are the things that make up our days and our lives. So what are you paying attention to? Where would you like energy flow? What kinds of things, you know, I talk to parents every single day and I go, what do you want for your child? What, what do you want them to be able to do? Are we focused on that? Have you talked to your ABA provider about that? Like what's the part of your day that's the hardest? What if we just put attention there? like if morning and the morning routine and getting out the door is the hardest part of the day, what if we just said, you know, everything else is what it is, but let's put some attention into this. And, um, you know, just said, we're going to think about this. We're going to plan about this. We're going to, eventually you'll come up with solutions and maybe they're not the solution. Maybe you got to try something and then go, no, that wasn't it. That didn't help. Now we try this, right? That's called problem solving. But if you put the attention there, the energy flows there, you will solve some portion of it and you'll solve it faster because you're paying attention to it. It's just a thing. We're going to talk more about it. Don't get stressed. Uh, it's a good thing. Okay. We have got to take a break because we are going to come back with the amazing Bonnie Yates, special education attorney, and she's going to be answering your questions. So don't go anywhere. Stick with us. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are so lucky that we get to welcome back to the show Bonnie Yates, special education attorney. Bonnie is joining us from the law firm of Tolner and, is it Tolner and Associates, Bonnie? Tolner Law Offices. We're so thrilled that she is here with us. And, Bonnie, talk to us a little bit about Tolner Law Offices.
0: Okay. Well, the thing that was supposed to happen today that's going to happen in the future is that David Tolner, who started Tolner Law Offices, is going to talk to you guys about how, um, well he's going to talk to you about addendum IEPs and how parents can use them to get um, a satisfactory uh, program for their kids. And in general, he's a strategy guy. He sort of, he says, you know, I'm good at identifying what the target is and how to get there. But he's also like, chess player about all this I'm I'm learning so you know he's got a really good way that he does the cases it's efficient and it also works and so he'll be coming on the air to talk to you about how they like to work behind the scenes with clients uh, and sort of set the district up for some surprises anyway um, today though uh, I'm going to be talking to you about educational impact, but before I do that, I'm just to say that uh, the attorney disclaimer is that I'm answering general questions under California law and federal law. For your specific issues, if you're in Northern or Southern California, we suggest you have an intake with us. If you are in uh, another state, we direct you to counsel of parent attorneys and advocates if you need to talk to a lawyer. And then, uh, finally, was the contact information for the firm. It's Tolner, T-O-L-L-N-E-R, Law Offices. Uh, you can go to the website um, for the contact information. And there are now offices in San Jose, El Segundo, and Irvine. So that was a lot. I got to, like, stream that, streamline that. But um, I'm all uh, worked up today <laughs> because I have a case that involves a district trying to take a student with autism and make him ineligible for any services. Wow. And I think what's going on is that because he's academically successful and he has a high IQ and he's well behaved in class, they think that his autism isn't having any impact, uh, any educational impact on him. So we are going to talk about how it could be possible that you could have a diagnosis of autism and not qualify for an IEP. That's, that's what I want to talk about because that's what I've been researching and thinking about and talking to professionals about. So can we do a little of that?
1: Absolutely, because we're getting more and more of these uh, questions, too, from parents that are saying... My child has a diagnosis, but they're telling me that uh, that we're not getting any services, that right. they don't qualify. And yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, yes, please help us, Bonnie.
0: Okay. So the first thing is, where's my sheet on this? The the the, the first question when you have a disability is 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 you know whether or not that. You have to have the qualifying symptoms of autism in California under five uh, California code of regulations 3030 which I have here somewhere and I want to read it to you you have to you have to show the following autism in California and the reason we're talking about California is because there's uh it's it's left to the states one by one uh to set up their own definition of educational impact so As of July 1, 2014, the first part of this is, autism means a developmental disability significantly affecting verbal and nonverbal communication and social interaction, generally evident before age three, and adversely affecting a child's educational performance. So that's where we get that language um, about educational performance. It goes on to say, other characteristics often associated with autism are engagement in repetitive activities and stereotype movements, resistance to environmental change or change in daily routines, and unusual responses to sensory experiences. So I went into this meeting thinking, this is crazy. How can people not understand how this child's autism has an impact on his functioning at school? But as I got into the law more, and I listened to what the teaching staff was saying, I had to I'm still kind of wrestling with whether this is just the district trying to reduce its caseload by kicking a high functioning autistic kid off of the rolls, or whether they really believe that because the student meets or exceeds academic standards in his classroom, that therefore his autism doesn't have an educational impact. So in researching this, I learned that it's it's left up to the states to adopt their own definition of what educational impact is. And only nine states have, and California has not. And one of the things that was really you know, surprising to me was like to see a state like Vermont that you sort of think of as liberal, although I don't really think that's accurate. They have a definition of educational impact that's very like you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, Um, California doesn't have a definition and so where we end up then is we look to federal law for guidance and these things are going to be on a case-by-case basis so putting myself in in the shoes of the school professionals I think my job at this meeting is going to be to explain to them why it would be possible for somebody to be academically successful but still have needs that um, had to be addressed through special education because they had an educational impact. And um, the difficulty is you need someone on your team that really understands autism well and can um, explain how the disability ramifies for someone who is socially Unsophisticated and maybe not that successful, and so on. And their attitude kind of, I think, is well, if he gets all his classwork done, and when he goes out on the playground, he makes some minimal attempts to initially engage with kids, even if he can't sustain those initiations, then we don't think he needs an IEP. So I was, you know, I'm going to be bringing in, I brought in an expert who works with them outside of school, and I'm going to be bringing in more to make my showing of educational impact. But what I wanted to tell you was, I did find um, a definition of how we're supposed to handle the question of educational impact in California, and that's uh, that's under federal law. There's something called the Office of Special Education Programs, They work for the Federal Department of Education, and so they um, rendered an opinion about how all this should be handled under federal law, and they cited me to two cases in our circuit, the Ninth Circuit, which also addresses, so let's talk about what the federal government had to say about educational impact. Um, So, Most of the cases are eligibility cases and the district will be trying to say that a student's emotional disturbance doesn't have an impact on educational performance. There are also some cases involving specific learning disability and autism, but autism in California there hasn't really been um, a definitive recent case. This letter, which I'm going to read to you from, is from OSEP, the Office of Special Education Programs. It's from something called Letter to Clark, March 2007, Letter to Clark. And basically, the question that they were asked was whether a person with a speech-language impediment who passes all his courses and advances from grade to grade can't be eligible for special education and what they went on to say was that eligibility and services um, must be made on a case-by-case basis and that the regulations to IDEA 2004 instruct the districts to use a variety of assessment tools, not just one, to gather functional developmental and academic information about a student in order to figure out what their unique needs are. And so, because of that, OSEP concluded that the uh, question of educational impact would include um, adaptive behavior and so on, and not just academic information. Um, So, The question question posed was what constitutes an educational impact? The answer is uh, educational performance as used in the IDEA and its implementing regulations is not limited to academic performance. Whether a speech and language impairment adversely affects a child's educational performance must be determined on a case-by-case basis depending on the unique needs of a particular child and not based only on discrepancies in age or grade performance in academic subject areas. In conducting an evaluation, the public agency must use a variety of assessment tools and strategies to gather relevant functional developmental and academic information. Therefore, the IDEA and the regulations clearly establish that the determination about whether a child's whether a child is a child with a disability uh, is not limited to information about the child's academic performance. Furthermore, 34 Code of Federal Regulations, Section 300.101 states that each state must ensure that a free appropriate public education is available to any individual child with a disability who needs special education and related services even though the child has not failed or been retained in a course or grade and is advancing from grade to grade. So the opinion from OSAP um, cited two cases that are both in our circuit and the Ninth Circuit. One is called County of San Diego versus Special Education Hearing Office, and the other one is uh, Seattle School District number one versus BS. So, uh, Seattle, Washington is within our, our circuit here, our federal circuit, which includes Hawaii, um, Washington, Idaho, um, Oregon,
1: California. So, um, which as circuit far is that, Bonnie? Is that the Ninth Circuit or not, is it?
0: No, that is, that
1: is the Ninth. It that is the
0: is Ninth. The, so, so, I looked at those cases to see what they added to the mix and discover that they were positive for us. So, the first one, which was the, um, excuse me, was the Seattle case. That, that student had emotional disturbance and she was not eligible for special education. She displayed behaviors Uh, physical and verbal aggression, lying, stealing, oppositional defiant disorder, she was expelled, she was made eligible under emotional disturbance, even though she had age-appropriate academic scores uh, because she had behavior that adversely impacted her educational performance. Quote, everyone agrees that AS was bright, exceptionally bright, and thus was able to test appropriately on standardized tests This is not the sine qua non of educational benefit, however, the term unique educational needs shall be broadly construed to include the handicapped child's academic, social health, emotional, communicative, physical, and vocational needs. So that's really where we need to be going with this, is we need to show how the autism, in this case, is affecting his social, health, emotional, communicative, Physical and vocational needs. I'm certainly not going to be able to get very far with his academic work because they're reporting him as you know doing wonderfully on everything. Um, so then the County of of, of San Diego case um, essentially says uh, that you have to uh, consider. Uh, let me just read the quote. When determining whether a child's educational performance was adversely affected by the child's emotional condition, the federal appellate court governing California requires that consideration also be given to a student's need for behavioral and emotional growth. Um, The law does not require poor standardized test scores in order to find an adverse effect on educational performance. So, I... I am going to be going back and listening to the psychologist report and seeing how she makes the case that this doesn't have an impact on um, educational performance. That's what I'll be doing, and it's going to take some doing, so I can update you about that. But anyway, that's why you get into the discussion about whether or not somebody with autism has an idea qualifying disability.
1: So I, I, have a, I have a couple of questions, because here's what bothers me about this, and you know that I'm not a legal mind, and I count on you to explain things to me. So <laughs> having that, that asterisk there. Um, but it's the Ninth Circuit, and that's why I asked you which circuit is. is. Isn't it the Ninth Circuit that had had made a ruling that the Supreme Court overruled um, in 2017 and, and said that what they were doing and what the Ninth Circuit had agreed to was de minimis, the absolute well, minimum? But but so then the Supreme well, Court.
0: Well, let me clarify. You're talking yeah. about N- Andrew F. Correct?
1: I don't know because I don't. I I just know that there was a case and that the Supreme Court came back, overturned the Ninth Circuit, and said de minimis is not enough.
0: Okay. Well, I don't. I think Andrew F. is from Texas, so maybe I'm not sure what you're referring to. Andrew F. said that progress has to be. Uh, based on the child's unique circumstances and the IEP has to be appropriately ambitious. I'm not understanding from my research that there's a recent Supreme Court case that deals with this question.
1: Well, it doesn't. It doesn't exactly, because it just says de minimis is not enough. That was part of the decision but, but that, Shannon, in special education. we're not talking, we're not talking about idea progress. We're talking about ability to even have an IEP, right? We're talking about eligibility, right? But so here's, but here's why, because uh, I was starting someplace, I'm going someplace. <laughs> See if you can okay. follow my not legal mind. But it seems like to me that, um, and I know that it's just like this question of uh, are they eligible? But part of what IDEA says is that it is to, you know, it's to help individuals. Educationally, but also to set them up for success in their life. And I know it's sort of you know reverse engineering, but if the if the thing that you're trying to make yourself eligible for says you know we're giving what our purpose is is to help you with academic, but also to set you up for the rest of your life, then saying that you're ineligible for it because we don't have to work on educational things seems wrong to me.
0: Well, it, 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 it is wrong, and, and I think we need um, a clear decision about the relationship between Idea 2004 and this question of educational impact, because Idea 2004 said, hey, listen, some of the most important stuff the student's going to do is graduate and grow up and um, go out into the community and be employable and exercise his own legal rights. And you don't get there without an IEP that gives you help in these other areas because I think the students that are high functioning do tend to get, um, their needs get minimized by the teachers Um, And uh, if you don't address their autism, I think the concern is they're going to develop huge emotional problems uh, and anxiety and coping problems in middle school and high school where they're not in kind of the more sheltered cocoon of the elementary school.
1: Well, and in fact, when they get into those grades and eventually they have an individual transition plan to go from the IEP to their life after school. Part of what they're working out on in the ITP is not, it's like, what is your support system going to be? Where are you going to live? Where are you going to work? And who are the people who are going to support you to do that? But if we have denied them the right to that plan by saying that they were ineligible because of education to me that feels like de minimis if the plan is to set you up for educational you know access to education and the rest of your life and we said we're denying you because you don't need the education piece to me that's de minimis that's where i was going with that whole well, argument the de minimis, de minimis has nothing to do with eligibility the minimis has to do with when
0: you are eligible, what standard is the district held to when it writes an IEP sure. and it evaluates uh, annual performance. But what you're saying is that the education of a person that's under 18 should be done with the idea in mind that he's going to have an ITP and he's going to go out into the big world and he's going to need skills to be successful. And I absolutely agree with that. And when I bookend it, shortcut it. What I say is, look, it's not enough to get the math problem right. You gotta be able to get into the job interview and and get the gig, you know? So um, I'm wanting to make people aware of where the eligibility definition is for autism and how the district is using it against children that are higher functioning and are doing okay academically. I also think that sometimes the okay academically might be better revealed by some kind of outside objective testing as opposed to there's lots of ways to control results in the classroom yeah. and there's lots of evidence that the grading is very subjective yeah. but I you know I think my task now in this case is to try to educate this IEP team about the fact that you know this student um, may look better to you than a lot of other kids right. you've seen, but that isn't really the, the criteria, Right. And, and you know, when they write a report and they make a determination about whether or not the disability affects educational performance, they have to be able to tell you what definition they are using for educational performance. Mm-hmm. And this psychologist was not prepared for this because when she walked in and I said, what's the definition of educational performance you're using? She said, go back to 5 CCR 3030. I mean, she didn't say it like that. But she said, I'm using the definition of educational performance that you see when you look at the statute in California that defines autism as a qualifying disability. The problem with that was that the statute says nothing about what the definition of educational performance is. It just says that autism means a developmental disability that significantly affects a child's educational performance. So I'm, you know, it's not really gonna work for her to go back to her uh drawing board and come into the meeting next time and say well hey i know last time it seemed like when i did this i didn't use a definition of educational performance but actually i really did and here's what it is i don't you know it's not
1: gonna fly with me no anyway, I, bonnie's bonnie's on the job bonnie's on the case yeah. literally <laughs>
0: that's <laughs> where we are and yeah it's a hot it, to me it's a hot issue
1: It's a very hot issue because I'll tell you, we see this not only in the school, but we see this in other environments. We had uh, a, a case of a young girl with autism who went missing here in Southern California. And of course, we have the silver law in place now that includes the verbiage of it, includes individuals. Um, It can include individuals on the spectrum um, if they are not able to make decisions for themselves so that if they go missing, we can speed up the missing person thing and and have it be by a different criteria. Well, so this young teenage girl went missing and the police were not activating the silver alert and and I was on the phone with them saying on behalf of the mom saying no 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 we've been through this before here's what you need to know here's (sighs) here's what you need to know about it and the police officer was saying I have the young girl's phone she's able to text therefore I don't think she qualifies for this and I was like let me explain to you yeah, I, You know, I'm sure that she can text, but that does not mean that she has the ability to discern whether someone is a safe person or not. Like, Yeah,
0: exactly. And I mean, he wasn't
1: getting it. He was like, since she can text, she must be fine.
0: I, I know that we need to wrap up, but what I want to say is I believe that there was a lot of publicity about the 1987 study at UCLA about autism, and that as parents uh, got educated about autism, uh, and, and professionals did, that we'd sort of have this collective body of knowledge about what autism is and how it manifests, and that the presentation can be subtle, but disabling, quite disabling. Yeah. And I, I feel like now what's going on is parents are very vulnerable They may end up in no ABA program for early intervention. They may end up in an ABA program that's basically being run by the insurance company and all the parents are getting is parent training and they don't even know that autism is actually, autism treatment is actually direct one-to-one therapy, along with other things. And so what I'm seeing now is a lot of kids, it's not that they aren't eligible. They're eligible, the district convinces the parent that they don't need more than a paraprofessional. They probably had very good prospects when they were a pre kindergartner or a kindergartner. Now they're 12 or 13, and the ramifications of not properly addressing their autism in the classroom is showing up in terms of behavioral problems, issues with bullying, um, reading comprehension problems and just you know generally not looking as good as I thought they were going to look when in kindergarten you know that student had a lot of um quite you know, what's the right word characteristics that made him look like he could very successfully you know negotiate his landscape he just needed some intensive right. teaching so I'm not really saying that well but my point is If people are concerned about students being successful in school and not being alienated and feeling a part of things, we got to take care of them. That's right. So many kids are developing emotional problems because of the way the districts are handling their autism uh, that, you know, I had somebody tell me, frankly, I'd rather deal with the autism than the emotional symptoms. They become really bad. They sometimes rise to the level that the student student can't go to school anymore because they're so anxious.
1: Yeah, I had a friend who uh, is a BCBA who said to me, "You know, uh, what we see is that we we've learned so much about how to help build skills and diminish skills, but in helping uh, an individual." go from the world of autism that they were in into being in our world, it is unconscionable if we don't take care of that individual and the anxiety that they will now feel being in our world. That that's the piece of the puzzle that a lot of ABA providers you know, don't necessarily get at, and that we as a community have to take responsibility for that and rise to the, the, the level and occasion that we set up for these individuals. We brought them into our world. <laughs> we did that. And now we have to make sure that they have everything that they need to be happy and successful in our world. And, and I think that we're not that anywhere near there yet. Um, but it is, re- it is our responsibility to, I, I, it's wonderful how much progress our kiddos can make. And I think the school is going, oh good, you know, you're doing so well, we won't have to stick with this, but there's a piece that they're missing. And as parents and advocates and you as a lawyer, we need to keep pushing the boundaries on this so that we make sure that they are well taken care of.
0: Well, you know, you—I mean—it's the same question you always have with people that are less fortunate. You know, are you going to let them sleep under bridges, or are you going to, you know, try to help them, for the reason that you don't want the emergency rooms to be full of sick people when you take your little baby there? You know. Yeah. It's really not. Uh, it's it's really you know self interested to look after other people. Yeah. It's not. Um, it's it's. You know, it's how we treat our very young and how we treat our very old and how we treat disabled people. We all know the rules about that. I mean, certain things don't change over time. And the thing about autism, the flip side of autism, is unlike some of the other disabilities, these people can have really successful outcomes and they can have a meaningful life and they cannot be in an institutional program from 8 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock at night because they're society's, you know, cast offs. So, um, we haven't touched at all on the difficulties in getting jobs for people with autism. That's another conversation. Yeah. But the, I, the idea that these people are going to learn from their environment and we don't need to teach the soft skills is not borne out by what we know about
1: autism. There we go. Well, a very inspirational talk, Miss Bonnie. Uh, we, well, appre- we appreciate you and the time that you're here with us, and we want to thank uh, Tolner Law Offices. Do you want to give their information again?
0: Tolner Law Offices is uh, on the web. You can Google Tolner Law Offices um, and get the various phone numbers. And if you're in Southern California or Northern Northern California, and you want to have a consultation with an attorney about your child's particular case, you can contact me. Or you can contact Homer San Jose and we'll set something
1: up for you. Wonderful. Thank Brian. you. Thank you, Bonnie, for being with us. All and right. Bonnie will be back with us next week. I, I forgot to mention we'd have one more show on the twenty third and then that's the you will be the last show of the two thousand nineteen, Miss Bonnie. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's uh we consider that an honor. I yeah <laughs> <Wow>.
0: <laughs> well, let's look every every day above ground is an honor, and That's we'll right. answer your questions. There were a lot of them; yes. they're good ones. We'll answer them
1: next week. Okay, thank you so thank much, you. Bonnie. Bye-bye. Okay, bye bye. Bye. That was the amazing Bonnie Yates, again, from Tolner Law Offices, answering your questions. You can keep, when you guys send me um, questions that are of a legal nature, I put them to the side and put them together week by week. So feel free to be writing those in whenever you have those. Uh, all right. We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and finish out the show. Stick with us. Hello and welcome back to Autism Live. We're, why, uh, why? Wipe- finishing up the show. I was saying, I was saying wiping up the show. It's, we don't need to wipe it up. It's not a mess. Uh, but uh, a couple of things that I want to talk to you about coming this week. So uh, tomorrow we have a best of episode for you that we're really excited about. On Wednesday, I am told that we have Dr. Doreen Grampiche. It will be her last show of the 2019 season so i'm told that we have her we'll give you a minute by minute update about that if that changes you know that sometimes she gets called away but i am told that we have her on wednesday Uh, on thursday this is exciting because we very we have had excuse me we've had her on several times but not in a while Dr. Sienna Greener-Wooten is scheduled to be with us on Thursday to answer some of your questions and I'm really excited about that. She is amazing. She heads up the quality assurance portion of the clinical arm of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. She has held many different positions at, her, uh, at, at CARD um, and in the beginning she was the person who did our intake. When we came in with our son, she was the first person that I sat down and talked with, and she asked me the questions and talked and got me ready for my time at CARD. And she was the person who, over, she was the overseer for all the supervisors then. So, you know, we had our supervisor who was amazing, and then Dr. Sienna Green, Greener-Wooten also, you know, had eyes on our case. She is the one who at a certain point, uh, you know, Jem came in and he was having a day and uh, she happened to be there and she was like, what's going on? And uh, and of course she had known him when he was two and a half and had no words and she was like, hey, what's going on? And he was like, I don't wanna do this anymore. And she said, great, you don't have to do this anymore. Here are the five things we're trying to teach you. And as soon as you get these five things, we, we'll, we'll fade away and you can go play with your friends. Because he was like, she said, okay, what's going on? You know, like, why don't you want to do this anymore? And he said, because I just want to be with my friends. And she was like, that's a cool reason to do that. Here are the five things that you have left to learn. And he was like, really? That's all I have to know is those five things and then I don't have to do this anymore. And she was like, yeah, that's it. And, and together she and Jem sat down and made a plan of how, like the schedule of how he was going to show her that he knew how to do those things. So it was this thing where, um, he would have to demonstrate it two days in a row that he could do these five things. And if he could, the third day canceled, um, which was super awesome. And within, I I would say six weeks, he was done. He was done. And uh, anyway, I adore her. And my son adored her. And I loved that interaction because I would never, I would, he would still be in therapy. I would still be like, cause you know, there's still things to work on. I need to be in ABA therapy. Let's be honest. Right. So you don't, sometimes as a parent, I mean, I certainly didn't know when do we stop this? You count on your experts. They had already told me six months before that he was at the end. So I already knew that at a certain point, but but then having him voice it and having her very clearly say, we can wrap this right up. Here are the five things you're still shaky on. And if we can get those things. And then he was motivated, motivated. He was like, Oh, you know, then let's do those. Uh, I, I want to do that. So she's going to be with us on Thursday. And then on Friday we have Vince Redmond with us. He's licensed marriage and family therapist. He's going to be with us. And, um, We'll let you know what we're going to be talking about on Friday, but I have some ideas what we might want to talk about with Vince Redmond. So Vince, like I said, is a licensed marriage and family therapist, but he also previously uh, was a therapist. So here's what you may not know. When uh, about 10 years ago, uh, Card had a, a documentary that was out that's still available. I think it's on Netflix, and it's called Recovered. Uh, journeys uh, through the autism spectrum. And what it did was it focused on four kiddos on the autism spectrum. And it showed video of them when they were much younger, when they were first starting ABA therapy, but then it dropped in to talk to them when they were teenagers. Amazing, right? Four kids, and their moms. And, you know, um you may not realize this, but Bonnie Yates is in that movie as a much younger mom. Just going to throw that out there. So, uh in any case, one, on one of the cases, three of them are young men and one is a girl, Jana, and uh the main therapist on her team was vince redmond and so you see him being this young like 19 20 21 year old young man working with this four-year-old girl Jana, and then you get to see them when he's a older more experienced therapist and she's 16 years old and and you know the relationship that they have uh because they are still good friends Uh, And so if you've watched the show before and seen Vince, to see him as that young man working with her as a therapist, I don't know, it's just like really, oh, it's like time flies and we grow up, you know, kind of thing. But But then you have a better appreciation for when he explains, like, you know, the challenges that parents and families go through, he gets it. I mean, he was there. He's watched so many families go through that. He understands how hard an ABA program can be for a family, but how pivotal and important it is. I've shared before that my husband and I, you know, tried to go to couples therapy while we were in ABA because I, I had a nervous breakdown. I mean, let's not even pussyfoot around it. I fell apart and couldn't, couldn't be outside my house, couldn't drive my car, right? We needed to go for therapy. And eventually I went alone and got cognitive behavioral therapy because I was a mess. Um, Because it's hard. And when I say to people, oh yeah, this is hard. I'm not I'm not whistling Dixie, right? So we went to the couple's therapist and I was like, you know, I'm this and I'm stressed about this. And, blah, blah, blah. and, and she was taking notes thoughtfully the whole time. And, you know, uh, as a wife, I my fantasy was that at the end she was gonna say, well, it's all his fault. <laughs> point at my husband, right? That that's what she was going to do. And I knew enough about therapy to know that it was just as likely that she was going to say it was all my fault or that, you know, hopefully she was going to say that we needed to work through some things together um, because we have this other thing going on that, you know, was taxing us. No, what she did was she said, well, I've taken all the notes and it seems like the stressor here is ABA. I think you should stop that. And we both looked at each other and we were like, oh, is that what you have for us? Thank you. We're done. And we started packing. And she was like, what happened? And and we both said, oh, we're not stopping ABA. Yeah, it's hard. But this is the thing that's going to save our lives that is saving our lives. And she was like, but if it's that hard, no, no. No. And so this is what I love about Vince is that Vince is never going to say that to a family. He's never going to say, well, then maybe you should stop the ABA therapy. The thing that ultimately is going to help you, it's hard, to so let's stop it. No, no, no. He's going to come up with strategies for how you can mitigate the hard to be able to stay sane while you're doing it. That's what Vince does. Um, so that's just one of the myriads of reasons why I adore him. So that is what is happening the rest of this week. Then we will be back the week after with one show on Monday on the 23rd of December with Bonnie Yates answering the questions that we did not get to today. And then we're, then it's going to be all repeats for basically two weeks because uh, we're taking a little time off because you can see that mama needs some time yeah. off right? And everybody needs to take a little. But I don't want you to think that you're in this alone during that time period. There will still be people here and you can still write in and there's still the potential to get your questions answered. And there's tons of video that we have done to keep you inspired and keep you informed, right? And then we'll be back in the new year with some changes, some things that we, you guys have asked for, some things that we want to bring you things that we think are going to help and new ways, new screens on which to watch Autism Live that might prove easier for you. So uh, thrilled about all of that. We've got some really good stuff in the works. More information, more inspiration, right? Isn't that the thing? All right. So we hope that you will continue to join us this week. We're about out of time. I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. It means so much to me to be on this journey with you. It is such a privilege, such a privilege to be here with you. So I will uh, see you back here tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.